Oh, yeah, sure. The N-word tape. Like, Donald Trump's got the PP tape. Hulk Hogan has the N-word tape. Yeah, yeah. It's me, Austin! The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you and sacrifice. Oh, son of a bitch! I did it, but don't lie. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training, introducing first your longtime fan, short-time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton. Say your vitamins and eat your prayers, Green. (laughs) And his tag team partner making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, Zach. The ultimate podcaster, Barlow. Is that like the ultimate life form? Oh, no, no. Yeah, it's the ultimate, ultimate warrior. warrior. I'm not I talking, thinking... this is not our Sonic Adventure podcast. I was, I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, I was thinking that you were making a joke about uh, about the gobbledygooker being the ultimate life form. Okay, honestly, that's a really good joke. And I, I do like it, but no, I was I was going with ultimate warrior. Well, I I went I went there for you. Uh, this is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're gonna take you through some of the biggest shows, rivalries, matches, and very strange gimmick choices in wrestling history. And if you know nothing about men in turkey suits bursting out of eggs, don't worry because as you'll soon learn, I don't either. So, Peyton, what are we going to be talking about today? We're talking about that Thanksgiving tradition, Survivor Series, uh, of all of the WWE's big four pay-per-views. This is, like, probably the least favorite for many people. But, you know, you know, not, t- not too bad. This is actually the second Survivor Series we watched on this show. You can go back and listen to our Survivor Series 1997 episode and listen to us talk all about the Montreal Screwjob. But this one is bigger for a different reason, and that perhaps the most legendary, awe-inspiring wrestlers, once-in-a-lifetime gimmicks, debuts here. And so does The Undertaker. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think anything anything really says mixed bag uh like a show that debuts the undertaker and the gobbledygooker yeah no i think that that is the perfect way to describe this show um but yeah so this is probably this is the oldest thing we've watched so far isn't it yeah i think so i we're, we're going all the way back to 1990 uh yeah, I mean this is this is older than anything we've watched by quite a few years, um, but this was a you know an interesting time for the WWF. There's a lot of star power on this show. Like there are a lot of like big name guys here because uh, we got Hulk Hogan, of course. We've got Ultimate Warrior. We got Ted DiBiase. We've even got the debut of the Undertaker. We've got a young Shawn Michaels on here. Yeah, man, uh, young Shawn Michaels, I didn't even recognize until, like, they said his name, and I was like, what? No, that's not Shawn. 
Back yep. before he was a sexy boy. Yeah, he was just a boy. He was he a He was boy a sexy toy. boy. He said, see you later, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, uh, an interesting show. So the, the gimmick originally was Survivor Series. Uh, it always took place around Thanksgiving, and it was centered around these elimination tag team matches. Um, eventually they got into, you know, just some of the matches would be elimination-style tag team matches, but here they're all elimination tag team matches, which is can be a little difficult, like, watching the same type of match over and over again. Yeah, you feel like you're running a marathon watching this I mean, thing. It's the same reason why a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view is stupid. Uh, right. But I will say the elimination style does kind of make it feel a little bit fun. The problem is they try to do the same thing in every match, and I saw it in your notes, you pointing this out. I'm glad I'm not the only one that saw... Man, they really love doing disqualifications and countouts on this. Yeah, thing. I have never. I've seen in our entire time doing this, maybe one disqualification before or, or two countouts in all the shows we've watched. It happens so many times. I should have been keeping up with how many, but I didn't expect it to be a recurring theme. I guess we'll keep up with it as we go, but it's a lot. Like, it, it's. it's uh, and I, I think, you know. I mean, obviously, there are more, like, decisions. Like, there are more falls when you're having, you know, four falls or potentially seven falls a match. Right. Uh, but it still was, like, glaring. And I, I think the main reason for that is they're trying to protect wrestlers, like, and not have them really lose. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. But, but it was, also, it was like, too much. What looks worse, losing or like running away? That from, that is a good point. And like know. sometimes it works when it like like what they do with the Undertaker is it like he's just such a like monster that he's like not even caring about the rules. So, and when you're debuting the Undertaker, when he's a brand new guy, you want him to look strong, but at the same time you don't want him beating everyone. I understand why they went for the count out there. Yeah, yeah, that one that one made more sense. But there are other times where it was just like, seriously, there's a disqualification and a and or a countout in every single match. Yeah, I, I wow. did look that up. Uh, I know there's at least one every match. But anyway, um, let's get. Oh, it does. Go ahead. I just want to say the the one thing with the disqualifications and the countouts is that it does almost make the rules feel like they mean something here. Uh, yeah, but I'm I'm not entirely sure that that counts as a positive. Like you know, take it or leave it. But that does like one interesting thing that comes out of it. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get into this show. We start uh, with Vince McMahon yelling the lineup of every single match at us. Yeah, that was strange. Um, there's a lot of yelling on this show. Like everyone is very loud. Okay, so and. <sighs> I was thinking about when I was watching this, you know, why do I not like older wrestling, but I loved something like NWA Power, which is sort of has a retro vibe to it. And I think it's because in Power, all those guys, like we talked about in that episode, were good on mic. But in real older wrestling, everyone just screamed constantly. 
And like that was your mic skills is how loud you can yell into the microphone. Yeah, it's it's strange. I, I mean, maybe they're maybe it's older and the mics didn't work as good. Maybe they're compensating. But Jesus, they're yelling everything. Yelling is not acting. Like it's like that episode of SpongeBob where Squidward's like, "People who talk louder want to sound smart, right?" And Plankton goes, <laughs> "Correct." Correct. Uh. <laughs> But yeah, we do a rundown. I I do like I do feel a lot of like the old school presentation on this show. I do like I do like the way it's presented in that we do like an interview before each match. Right. Um, I did like that actually. I really love that honestly, and I wish that more uh more. I wish it was still formatted kind of that way because I've always liked, especially I, I like to see interviews with the teams that are about to go against each other or the wrestlers about to go against each other. Because then, to me, it tells the story a little bit better. Um, But now, mostly what you get is interviews involving the main event, um, and then, you know, some matches, nobody even talks. Well, especially here, I think it's super necessary because in Survivor Series, you basically have, like, a bunch of storylines coming together because all these different guys are feuding with each other. So you almost have to have that to kind of explain, okay, why are all these guys teaming together? Um, another thing I do like about this match is that, uh, or about the show, is that at the end of the show they're doing something kind of cool where all the winners wrestle each other. And I thought that was kind of a cool concept. I really love that concept. And, like, that kind of makes, to me, like, it makes the Survivor in Survivor Series mean something. Now, here... <laughs> Uh, we'll see kind of how that goes, but I, I didn't particularly care for the outcome, but I like the concept. Yeah, the execution, the booking of the, of the finish was not that great, although it's exactly what I expected. Yes, it's exactly what I expected to. Um, so our, uh, our commentary team for this show is going to be Gorilla Monsoon and Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Uh, I guess... Piper was maybe on, like, a little bit of a hiatus from wrestling here. Um, yeah, but he did a pretty good job on Mike. Well, you talked about people's mic skills just being yelling, but there were a lot of good people on the mic, and Rowdy Rowdy Piper is one of them. Yes, Pi- yes. He, Piper, he decidedly wasn't screaming. Piper is probably, like, one of those guys, one of, like, there, there's, like, a list of wrestlers who are, like, the best people to never be a world champion, and Piper is definitely, like, on the top of that list. Um, really, he never he never got to be world champ. He won the Intercontinental title like one time, and then uh, like like in then in like two thousand eight, he won the tag team titles with Ric Flair. Huh. Um, but yeah, no, no, he was one of those guys that never, I guess, never really needed a championship. Um, but yeah, he is one of those guys that you know kind of sticks out in your mind as not being a a champion, but is considered up there as being one of one of the most legendary wrestlers of all time um another weird thing about this show um is how weirdly political it is yes because okay 1990 this shows a time capsule it's yeah very strange how hype everyone is for Operation Desert Storm in this show. Yeah, it's like all, like, it, 
I, I was telling Alexis this. So I was like, she was like, hey, how's your wrestling show? I was like, it's good, except for there have already been three times where someone's done a shoot promo on Saddam Hussein. <laughs> Um, yes, everyone, everyone uh, dunking on Saddam Hussein through the whole thing is just surreal. Well, and in one case, putting Saddam Hussein over, but we'll get yeah. to that. Um, yeah, man, I, like, you know, we've watched wrestling from, like, post 9-11 that's also very political and patriotic so it's it, and i remember that watching wrestling because that's when around the time i started watching wrestling was right after 9-11 and then everything was about the troops and we're going overseas to see the troops and the undertaker loves the troops and i'm kind of seeing the same thing here in 1990 yeah well because in 1990 and and even the beginning of like the iraq war it was a different time when, like, wars were fun, you know? You, you go into a place for seven months, you mess around, you leave. Uh, it wasn't, like, a decades-long thing. Make um, wars great again. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, uh, it was definitely, obviously, imperialistic and <laughs> terrible, but, like, yeah. Um, I don't know. It was sort I, of I like was a very obviously could... making a joke. I, huh? I hope that's clear. I hope it's clear that I was making a joke and that I don't actually want wars. Oh yeah, yeah. But like, it was, it was, it had a different vibe to it. Like it was something people could get hype over. Yeah, and I, it was, I do it was like... something that you could easily. It wasn't divisive at all, so you could easily make everyone love or hate you by loving or or loving the troops or apparently. Loving Saddam Hussein. And that's exactly what WWE did. And, like, again, they tried this again in 2004, but that was a much more different time, especially when you're going to try to make your character be an Arab American whose reason he's a heel is that he's mad that people are um, discriminatory towards Arab Americans uh, after 9 11 which is like an actual real thing, and so it doesn't really make somebody a bad person for saying that. Yeah, that so, plays a little different. You know, it was it was a different time and where you could, it's much more easy to do, like, these, like, you know, support the troops kinds of things. Um, I, my favorite thing is that Rowdy Rowdy Piper says, uh... It says that this is dedicated to the armed forces and that Saddam Hussein is going to have to pay double if he wants to watch this. So it's like, <laughs> Saddam, we'll let you in, but you have to, you're charged extra. And that's how, like, okay, that's how cartoonishly we took that, you know? It's like, <laughs> hey, Saddam Hussein. We're going to charge you double for this. Could you imagine someone doing that with, like, ISIS today? Yeah. Uh, like, hey, ISIS. Yeah, could you imagine someone doing a promo that's pro-ISIS? <laughs> like, could you, imagine, uh, could you imagine them coming out with a character who's, like, an ISIS sympathizer? Can you imagine how horrible that would be? That's basically <laughs> what they do with Sergeant Slaughter. And not basically. That's literally that's what they do with Sergeant exactly Slaughter. That's exactly what they do with Sergeant Slaughter. Um, but, yeah, it just goes to show how much more fun war was in 1990. Yeah. A simpler time, for sure. Uh, how simple? 
there's a giant egg at the front of the stage, and that's like the biggest storyline of the night. <laughs> um, so for those who don't know, the, the real reason we did this is that there is a giant egg at the front of the, the stage, and the whole thing for weeks they've been like, what's in that egg? What's going to come out of that egg? Is it a dinosaur? Is it a chicken? There are not very many other options for what comes out of eggs. <laughs> um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that shortly. Um, but I guess the first thing we do is we're going to go into our first match. Um, and, man, it kind of feels like they put their, like, they put their match matches in reverse because this is the one that feels like it should have been the biggest match yes um, agreed because we got the perfect team in mr perfect another guy who ranks up there as like best to never win a world title uh mr perfect is teaming with demolition axe smash and crush who have always been considered to be basically a legion of doom copy or knockoff right um, and they're gonna face the warriors which is ultimate warrior who is the world champion, Texas Tornado, who's the Intercontinental champion, and then Hawk and Animal at the Legion of Doom. And that's why I say it's weird for this match to go on first, because your two top title holders are in this match. Yeah. Um, it, it, that is strange. It, it is weird to start it off with this one, especially with some of the things we have coming later. Like, uh, you would think that this would be later down on the card for sure. What do you think of Ultimate Warrior? Because last we watched up and we watched in that horrible Hulk Hogan and uh, Ultimate Warrior match from Halloween Havoc 1998. And here he is holding the WWF title, which he actually won from Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 6. Yeah, no, here I think he's in good form. Um, I enjoyed his, his performance in this. Yeah, Ultimate Warrior was basically like the WWF's answer to... To Hulk He's basically the guy they were going to pass the torch from Hulk Hogan to Ultimate Warrior, except for the problem was Ultimate Warrior was, like, very notoriously hard to work with. And they kept trying with him, and WCW tried too, but nobody could get the fucking message. Uh, and then, I don't know if you know this, Ultimate Warrior went off and left wrestling and then became a motivational speaker who infamously said this phrase queering doesn't make the world work whoo boy and then okay, the wwe then, inducted him into the warrior. hall of fame and he died two days later <laughs> i'm uh, uh, i'm glad you find death so funny well i mean when you say something like that then i i can't help but laugh i guess it was actually so he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. The next night he appeared on WrestleMania. The next night he appeared on Monday Night Raw for an Ultimate Warrior tribute show. And then the next night he died. <laughs> Went out on top, baby. Yeah. I mean, at least he didn't go out on queering doesn't make the world work. Though he probably should have. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people kind of forget about that. And they're like, oh, Ultimate Warrior made this big redemption. I'm like... But I don't think he ever apologized for saying that queering doesn't make the world work. And what a weird, what a weird way to say I am a homophobe. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty creative. I'll give him like, that. Like, what strange, like, 
sentence structure that is. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess we should get into it. Before the match, Mean Gene Okerlund is interviewing uh, the Warriors backstage, and they each just take turns yelling gibberish into the microphone. Yeah, you can't understand what anyone's saying because it's constantly in yells. It's in yells, and it's fast. So it's just like... Like, yeah, I mean, it's basically like it's basically what Scott Steiner's known for, but everyone is Scott Steiner. Yeah, welcome to Survivor Series 1990. Everyone is Scott Steiner. Here. <laughs> um, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna kick things off with Animal and Smash. Uh, at one point, everybody gets in the ring, uh, and they all get tossed out, and then everybody hits a move on Mr. Perfect. Um. Warrior gets tagged in, and he cleans house on Axe before hitting him with the Warrior Splash and pinning him for the 1-2-3. He's eliminated. Um, well, we get some double team on Warrior until he tags in Hawk. Hawk uh, is beaten on Mr. Perfect. And Mr. Perfect, uh, or Hawk charges at Mr. Perfect in the corner, but Perfect moves out of the way, and Hawk goes shoulder first into the turnbuckle. Um... Eventually, the Legion of Doom and Demolition start brawling. And here's where we get our first disqualification in the form of he disqualifies four people at once. Yeah. Like, half of both teams are gone. Yeah. Um, which was weird. I mean, okay, it, well, I, it didn't offend me that bad this time because it was the first time and it was a little different. Like, how often does everyone get disqualified? Um, and I guess it did serve a purpose here and that, oh, it's telling the story of, like, LOD and Demolition hate each other so much that they're willing to brawl and, and throw right. the match. Yeah, this didn't really bother me as much as it just kind of took me by surprise because I'm like, oh, don't see that every day. Yeah. That's which probably the last time a, we'll be seeing that one. Which I guess is a good thing, yeah. Um... So, uh, Mr. Perfect wants Tornado in, so Texas Tornado comes in, um, tosses Mr. Perfect over the top rope, um, and then, uh, Warrior takes him out, and then he, and then Warrior's on the outside, he tosses Bobby the Brain Heenan into the crowd. I forgot to mention, there are a bunch of managers here that don't really do a whole lot other than, like, at some point they get beat up. Um, it's hard to keep track of all the managers, Mostly because it's the same three guys just coming back over and over again. Well, yeah, I do have to say my personal favorite is the Slickster, and it's because he is just in name very similar to the Slither. I'm pretty sure it's just Slick. I don't think it's the Slickster. I heard them say Slickster. I mean, they may have said that once as like you know like a like a like a nickname, but it's just Slick. But yeah, we got Bobby Heenan, Jimmy Hart comes in, Mr. Fuji at one point. It's hard to really keep track, but uh, they're there. Um, uh, Mr. Perfect uh, slams Texas Tornado into the corner, hits the Perfect Plex, and pins him, eliminates uh, Texas Tornado. And then... uh, Warrior comes in, he gets a perfect plex, but he kicks out because he's the ultimate warrior. He gets to kick out of shit. <laughs> and uh, Gorilla Monsoon says, there's so much heat in here that egg could hatch. 
Uh, um, I, one thing that I do think is hilarious, though, is how, like, there's this running storyline that I think is just real of uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper being really hot and sweaty. Yeah, no, well, I mean, have you seen how, how fired up and, like, excited he is? No wonder he's breaking up sweat. <laughs> to the point that I'm like, man, is it, like, just, like, physically hot in this arena, or is Rowdy Roddy Piper on drugs? Is he too—well, that is probably true. Um— Eventually, Ultimate Warrior makes a comeback and beats Perfect with the Ultimate Splash. Pins him. He also knocks out Bobby Heenan. Uh, but yeah, no, no. There's one part where Roddy Piper is like taking his jacket off and he's like dabbing him himself because he's so sweaty. Yeah, it it looked rough. <laughs> Brings a whole new meaning to Hot Rod. Oh, nice. Uh. Our next match here is going to be the Dream Team of Dusty Rhodes, Coco Beware, Bret Hart, and Jim Neidhart versus the Million Dollar Team of Ted DiBiase, Honky Tonk Man, Greg Valentine, and a mystery partner. Ooh. Yeah, so, um, Honky Tonk Man, we've seen, like, him once before, I think. Yeah. Um, but here it seems that it's just he's an Elvis impersonator, and that's his whole gimmick. And along with another Elvis impersonator, that's always been his whole gimmick. Yeah, and he's with Greg Valentine, who yeah, he apparently is also an Elvis impersonator. I didn't even recognize Greg Valentine because I normally see him with blonde hair. And uh, yeah, no, he's just like, and they're called rhythm and blues. They're just like, yeah. I mean, this is still back in the time where everybody's, like, gimmick had to be, like, their occupation, and their occupation is Elvis impersonate. Their occupation is Elvis. You know, and one of my favorite things to do is just to, like, consider, because, you know, we're presented this image of wrestling as a sport that that is real. Um, so one of my favorite things to do is to take, like, wrestling things and then just, like, cross-apply them to other sports. Like, what if in basketball... People just had gimmicks. I mean, technically, that does exist in basketball with the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> but no, I see what you mean. Uh, I feel like, like it would make sports way more fun. Like, what if you could have multi-man... Like, what if you could have a triple threat boxing match? Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, as, like, tag team MMA. Like, just, you know... <laughs> Two guys wailing on one dude. So uh, the million-dollar team is being interviewed, and uh, they ask about the mystery partner. Ted DiBiase assures him they'll be here. Um, and and looky who it is. It's the one and only, the dead man, the Undertaker, debuting with Brother Love, who was his manager at the time. An odd choice to be the guy who manages the Undertaker, but... We eventually get that one right with Paul Bearer. Yeah, man, seeing old, like, seeing debut Taker was uh, was really cool. He's really young here. He's only, like, 20-something here. Wow. Uh, and Taker is actually going to win the world title for the very first time one year later at the next year's Survivor Series, and at the time was the youngest WWF champion ever. Wow. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a, a young taker. I actually, uh, so Undertaker now is starting to like break kayfabe a little bit 
uh, he used to, you know, like, other than when he was Biker Taker, he would never really make any appearances uh, out of character uh, or do any interviews, but now he's starting to do it more. In fact, he has an Instagram, um, <laughs> which is weird to me. But uh, he was on... Isn't it weird that The Undertaker's... Un- the Undertaker is so good at his gimmick that when you see him at a reg- as a regular dude, it's weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's weird to see him not as a zombie man. <laughs> uh, it's unsettling. But he, he was doing an interview with Stone Cold. Uh, Stone Cold has this new show on USA. Uh, I forget what it's called. Um, oh, Broken Skull Sessions, where he interviews, you know, whoever. And his first guest was uh, The Undertaker. And The Undertaker was talking about his debut, and he said when he heard that they had a big giant egg, he was like, I was scared. I made myself sick. I, I was like, and, and this is a direct quote from him. He was like, I thought, I'm a big egg man. <laughs> and I just thought that was so hilarious. But also, like, can you imagine? He was like, this is my big break. I'm a big egg man. <laughs> Isn't that like the, I mean, that is very smart on Taker's part, though, because like, he could see the writing on the wall for the gobbledygooker. <laughs> and imagine, imagine his relief when he's like, no, 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 no. You are not going to be a giant turkey man. You're going to be a dead zombie. And he was like, <laughs> whoo, Dutch. Oh, thank there. God. Uh, but yeah, but yeah. Uh, Taker actually had a little bit of a background in WCW. He, he was called Mean Mark Callis. Um, and... Uh, he, he apparently has uh, some background in basketball. Uh, he played college basketball, and so he had a good look. It was really big, so WCW got him, but they just never really found out the right gimmick for him. Apparently the right gimmick for him was a was an undead person. You know, though, like, I, just looking at Taker's face, even from a, a young age, he has just a very kind of odd face. Not necessarily bad, but, like, just strange and so he worked perfectly with that sort of. Uh, I, I don't know gimmick. if you should be insulting the Undertaker right there. I'm not he's insulting gonna you, him. He's gonna make it's... you rest in peace. Are the lights going off at your house? <laughs> Turn around. He's right behind you. Oh God! Flames just shot out of my microphone. <laughs> um. But no, it, it's it's really cool to see him here, and you know, a lot of wrestlers kind of have like a a debut that's like, oh man, can you believe this? But. Undertaker's de- debut is pretty pretty good, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you can tell they saw something in him right away. Absolutely, because he comes out looking, like, super cool and very tough. And he's and, doing his gimmick, like, right out of the gate, exactly and, how it's going to And think be about done. the people that Taker is mixing it up with here. You know, he's teamed with Ted DiBiase. He's uh re- he's wrestling Dusty Rhodes, uh Bret Hart, Jim Neidhart. I, I mean Coco Beware's in there too, but you know, he's just Coco Beware. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I mean the first person that Undertaker wrestles with in the WWE is Bret Hart. Uh, so I mean that's that's pretty cool. It's yeah, pretty that's cool I mean, absolutely. When I think about wild. Undertaker, I never think of like, oh, he debuted against Bret Hart. Yeah, um, and that is something that, like like you said, they could easily tell that they had a winner on their hands with Taker. 
And you know what's crazy? This is 1990, and The Undertaker's still not all the way retired from wrestling yet. Yeah, jeez. That's, what, he's almost at 30 years. Yeah, wow, wow. Yeah. Uh, so he's so, around 50-something now, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, Taker is, here, now, now, now I want to know. Undertaker. Isn't it great that if I search The Undertaker, it doesn't come up with the profession Undertaker? It it, it comes up with Mark Calloway. I bet there are so many morticians that are pissed off about that. Yeah, he's uh, he's 54. Uh, wow. Born in 1965, so in 1990 he would have been... I guess he would have been... He would have been 25. Uh... uh yeah, wow. So, I, isn't that the weird same to think age about as Undertaker us. is the same age as us? And actually, he was born in March. Uh, oh, well, yeah, so I guess he would have been. He would have been 25. But still, 25 years old here. He does not look like a 25-year-old man, does he? No, no, definitely not. Or I don't look like... Maybe it's me that doesn't look like a 25-year-old man. I did get carded the other day to see an R-rated movie. Which means wow. that the attendant thought that I could reasonably be under 17 years old. Wow. You were mistaken for a 16-year-old. Yeah. I, see, that's why I grew a beard, and, and, and that never happens to me anymore. Yeah, you know, I tried with a mustache back in the day, but it didn't really pan out. Well, that's because it was a mustache, my man. I, you can't do, like, the full beard. Yeah. I mean, me either, but I'm trying. Um... Anyway, so uh, so Taker really uh, dominates here pretty early. Takes out Coco Beware right away. Uh, we get to see the very first ever Tombstone Pile Driver um, on Coco Beware. He gets eliminated pretty quickly. Um, uh, Taker ends up tagging out. Um, eventually, it's uh, it's Bret Hart's in the ring with Honky Tonk Man. And he gets a, a sneaky tag on Nightheart, who comes in and power slams Honky, pins him for the one, two, three. Finally, uh, we get Dusty Rhodes and Ted DiBiase um, squaring off. Um, and uh, I, I was reading this. Apparently, a lot of people thought that the mystery partner was going to be Dustin Rhodes, a.k.a. Gold Dust here. They thought that Ted DiBiase was going to recruit... Uh, Dusty Rhodes' son to be their mystery partner. Um, man, and what a difference between father and son with uh, Dusty Rhodes and Gold Dust. Here's the thing, I think Gold Gold Dust is great, and in fact, he's one of those wrestlers who gets better with age because he's wrestling in AEW right now and doing and doing great. Good. I'm and of glad course, there's Co- there's Cody Rhodes too, uh, who's also in AD- AEW and. Uh, has a fantastic career. Oh yeah, I, I didn't mean anything negative by uh. By oh, you saying mean just that. like what a difference? Because Dusty is so like you know large. Very... Oh, I thought you were gonna say he's so not like a cross-dressing director. Who Director's wears all actor, gold? Yeah, number of things. What a what another weird gimmick there, dude. We uh, gotta do we gotta do a gold dust episode. I, I see the thing is I don't even know a whole lot about Goldust, but yeah, we sure we sure can. Uh, that would be a long episode because Goldust has had a long ass career. Uh, but you know I <laughs> I did think it was funny um, 
just on on the subject of Undertaker when they the announced team says, "Guess they just dug this guy up somewhere," and I was like, "Ha ha! You have yeah. no idea." They did. They did for sure. You know, uh, there was like a very short period of time where they called him Kane the Undertaker. I think we talked about that a little bit on on our uh, maybe our Undertaker and Kane show, but yeah. After this, they started calling him Kane the Undertaker, like Kane was his first name. Huh. And the Undertaker was just a description, but they dropped that pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, I, I can see why. It does not have the same ring to it. But they decided to reuse it, I guess. Um, uh, so, uh, Virgil is uh, Ted DiBiase's... Uh, bodyguard guy and he uh, trips up t- uh, Jim Neidhart from the outside and DiBiase hits a clothesline and pins him and eliminates him. You know, it was a simpler time when clotheslines could it could could finish somebody off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of like I'm almost okay with it, you know, like it's nice to see like, you know, like not every match has to end in a finisher and like when when every match does end in a finisher, then you have to have people kicking out of finishers all the time. So, you know, I kind of kind of like it there. It does add some weight to uh, to finishers, and and yeah, I agree. Um, but I do feel like at the same time, this wrestling is like ninety percent chops, punches, and Irish whips. Yeah, and again, it was a simpler time. Jake's finisher was the DDT, and it was considered to be like the most like the coolest move in wrestling because no one had done a DDT yet. Um. Taker comes back in and he shows that he's not just a big dude because uh, he hits a flying axe handle from the top rope. That's uh, one thing about the Undertaker that's always been so cool is that he can, he's very agile, you know? Right, right. Probably one of the most agile big guys. Yeah, and in ever. a way that you never, like, you forget sometimes that he is. Yeah. Uh, like, so he always surprises you. Um,. Oh, I forgot to mention, he hits that flying axe handle and pins Dusty for the three count. So, on Undertaker's debut, he beats Dusty Rhodes, who is, like, kind of a legendary figure even at this point. So, like, pinfall victory over Dusty Rhodes on his debut with a flying axe handle? Like, that's cool. Yeah, wow. Um, uh, Dusty starts brawling with Brother Love on the outside, so Taker goes out to help, but he gets counted out in the meantime and eliminated. So, another count out, but here it made sense, you know? Because, uh, you know, you don't... Because what were they going to do? Pin Undertaker? Uh, have him beat everyone? Neither of those options really seem viable, so a count out kind of makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Um, so... Uh, back in the ring, Greg Valentine's going to try for a figure four leg lock, but Brett's going to roll him up for a three count. Um... And interesting, the team captain was Dusty Rhodes, and Dusty's gone. So now we just got Bret Hart here. Um, I think is is the last one, uh, which you know makes sense. Bret's probably like the best wrestler on the show. Definitely. Uh, um. Uh, Bret Bret uh, sends De- DiBiase to the outside. He follows up with a slingshot, like crossbody over the top rope to the outside, which is pretty cool to see Bret doing. So it's not all punches and chops. Yeah, not not all of it is, but like, but a lot of it is. Yeah, usually well, and usually with your worst guys too. Your... Well, see, here's the thing: is cruiserweight wrestling really didn't exist in America yet? Right, right. Um. 
So, I mean, a lot of the stuff you're thinking of seeing, you kind of have to put on a different lens for this one. Um, eventually, uh, Virgil is going to restrain Brett from the apron. DiBiase charges, but Brett moves, and DiBiase hits Virgil instead. <laughs> Brett hits a crossbody and pins, but DiBiase rolls through into a pin of his own, and he gets the win. So, kind of a quick win there at the end, which was, you know, which was all right, I think. Yeah, yeah, I didn't mind it. Um, but that one was actually uh, probably the. I, I, here's the thing. I think that the the two first matches were the best ones. Yeah, it only gets worse from here. Um. So we're gonna go to next the Visionaries versus the Vipers. The Visionaries we got Rick Martel, Hercules, Paul Roma, and the Warlord. Um. So not a well, whole lot of uh, really. Uh, Big names there. Yeah, I know all of none of these guys. Well, you know Hercules. He was uh, he was the Greek god. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he put the glad in gladiator. Oh my god. Uh, don't you mean know oh my Zeus? Hey, hey, Peyton. Interestingly, Zeus show. is also a wrestler, but not that guy's dad. <laughs> Uh, and then we got the Vipers, and the Vipers are a pretty, like, star-studded team, so it sucks the way this match ends up going. Yeah. Because we got a bunch of nobodies against Jake the Snake Roberts, another guy who falls on that list of best to never win a world title. Uh, we got Sean, a young Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, who were tag team partners at the time, the Rockers, and they're bringing a new style of wrestling here with, like, the high-flying and stuff. Uh, and then we got Jimmy Snuka, another legendary wrestler, um, and also the guy who was uh, found not guilty by reason of dementia in his girlfriend's murder trial. Yeah, and the thing is about Jimmy Snuka, uh, I, I haven't actually seen him in his prime, or I guess maybe this is a little past his prime, but I haven't seen him like actually in the ring. I've seen him you know, just in, in passing, in mentions and things. Uh, but he definitely looks like someone that murdered their girlfriend in a hotel room. Uh, and if, if for those of you who keep a score at home, this is uh, going to be seven years after that, uh, uh, after her death. Under yeah, so so his dementia was so bad that he killed his girlfriend in the hotel room. But he well, still the wrestle. dementia was that he couldn't stand trial in like 2015. Or 2011, or whatever. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, he that they didn't like actually arrest him until decades later. Fun. And then by that time, he had he was like super old and couldn't and wasn't competent. With Jimmy Snuka, though, I think it is interesting that his nickname was the Phenom here, uh, which later you know becomes one of Undertaker's monikers. And. I don't know if it's at all related, but Jimmy Snuka is the first person to fall to the Undertaker's WrestleMania undefeated streak. Huh. So. Um, the Vipers are being interviewed in the shower. Mean Gene says it's because it's warm and wet for Damien, which is Jake's snake. Oh, I boy, like the, Jake the Snake Roberts. I like that Jake's the snake's gimmick is just, I'm a snake dude. Yeah, okay. You know, though, like, growing up, did you ever know any snake men? 
I didn't know any, but like there was always that one like guy who would bring a snake to school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes like that's usually you know the yeah okay. So like my uncle, uh, was involved briefly with a, with snake people. And one of one of those people was a snake man. And snake men always have snakes around them, or are very interested in snakes, and also have frequently been bitten by snakes. I was more familiar with like uh, bird people, people who really love birds. Oh yeah, definitely. Bird people are more innocuous than snake men. Every snake man looks like Jake the Snake Roberts. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about Jake the Snake on our Beyond the Mat episode, uh, which kind of talks about Jake's sort of uh, decline uh, before he gets better. He, he is doing much better these days, and he's clean. But he had a real bad problem with drugs and sex and presumably rock and roll, but I haven't, <laughs> I haven't heard that. Um, um, the thing is, when we saw him on Beyond the Mat, I was like, man— this guy looks rough because of, you know, his decline. But seeing him here, I'm like, man, this guy looks rough. I think he was meant to look rough because he does have that fucked up eye. Yeah, that is which true. Which I think was part of the story, uh, obviously, because his eye's not fucked up anymore. Um, but uh, Jake says they're all survivors. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, Warlord and Marty Janetti. Do you know, have you ever heard the name Marty Jannetty? I haven't. So, basically, every tag team in wrestling, they have their Shawn Michaels and they have their Marty Jannetty. Uh, a lot of people will use that expression. So, you know, like in, uh, in the, I'm trying to think of a good example. I think Edge and Christian, Christian's the Marty Jannetty, Edge is the Shawn Michaels. Okay, if, if you, you <laughs> I understand see. what I'm saying. Yeah, um, with the Hardy Boys, I think that, that they at one point it w- they have both been the Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, but I think at this point Matt Hardy is the is the Shawn Michaels and Jeff is the Marty Jannetty. Certainly, yes. Um, but yeah, no, uh, the Dudley Boys, Bubba Ray is the Shawn Michaels, Devon's the Marty Jannetty. Uh, you know. Shawn Michaels went and did incredible things, and Marty Jannetty just didn't. Right. Uh, they uh, they have one of the greatest tag team breakups of all time where they're being interviewed on uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake's uh, talk show, The Barbershop, and Shawn Michaels super kicks Marty Jannetty out of nowhere and then throws him through the glass of the barbershop window. <laughs> um, and then Marty... Uh, doesn't really do anything after that. I think he wins the Intercontinental Championship once. He, he wins the tag team titles once. And then Shawn Michaels, you know, he's moderately successful. <laughs> um, no, I do think it's funny here that they mention of, of the Rockers, which I guess was their their name at the time. Yeah. Uh, that th- That is the greatest team of the 90s, is what the announced team says. And you're not even a year in yet. Well, let's let's finally get into the match. We start with Warlord and Marty Jannetty, but Jannetty's so fast that Warlord can't get a hold of him. He tags in Shawn Michaels. They hit a double team clothesline, sunset flip to Warlord, but he kicks out. Um, eventually, uh, Rick Martell gets in there, and uh, Jake tries to wrestle with him, but 
he just runs away. Um, Janetti goes to the top rope and comes off, but Warlord catches him for a power slam. He pins him and eliminates him. Kind of sad that Gen- Marty Janetti loses to someone as forgettable as the Warlord. Is as forgettable as Marty Janetti is. He's uh, not nearly as forgettable as the Warlord. <laughs> um, the only thing I know about the Warlord is that for a long time he held the record for shortest time in a Royal Rumble match at three seconds. Oh my God! He stepped in and immediately got clotheslined over the top rope. Ain't that just the way? Um. We're getting in uh, lots of quick tags. Uh, Warlord tries to powerbomb Shawn Michaels, but Shawn Michaels does a Hurricane Rana, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, at one point, uh, Jimmy Snuka attempts a crossbody off the top rope, but uh, Martel rolls through and pins Jimmy Snuka for the elimination. Um, uh Martel is going to clothesline Jake the Snake from the apron, and Roddy Piper says this line, You cheap ass! Excuse me. You cheap person! (laughs) Because I guess we are still trying to be pretty kid-friendly here. I just think it was really funny. Yeah, Um, I mean, I think that the giant egg sitting in the middle of the uh, stadium is uh, is proof of the kid-friendliness. Um... But we definitely can't say the ass word. No, definitely not. Um, Michaels is going to hit a uh, reverse atomic drop, but Paul Roma stumbles into the corner and tags in Hercules. He comes in, surprises Michaels with a clothesline. Uh, he then superplexes Shawn Michaels off the top rope, and then Roma comes off the top rope with a splash. That's a cool double-team finisher. Um, and they end up pinning Shawn Michaels. So now it's just Jake the Snake against the whole team. Um, and Rick Martel sprays Jake the Snake with a pesticide? Yeah, what? Hey, is it possible that, you know, Jake the Snake's move is the DDT, and did he spray him with DDT? With DDT, there you go. Um, but here's the thing, if he sprayed DDT in there, it would cause that egg to get that, like, weak shell disease, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe that's why it hatched early. Maybe so. Maybe it wasn't supposed to hatch that night. Um, Jake is going to get his snake out and chases Martel with it. That sounds dirty. Um, And then Jake the snake gets counted out. So uh, we have another count out, and it was the finish to this match, which was real stupid. Yeah, that was just so dumb. This was the first one I was like, okay, wait, we're doing this too much. Yeah, yeah. Because we've gone three matches in a row. Uh, apparently, though, this is the first time in Survivor Series that there's been a clean sweep where uh, the whole team has survived. That That's kind of interesting. Yeah, th- I, I thought that was, um, man, like kind of should have been the other way around, though, probably. I know, because nobody on this team is anybody. Um, so we're going to go right into our next match, which is the natural disasters of Earthquake, Dino Bravo, Haku, and Barbarian. Versus the Hulkamaniacs of Hulk Hogan, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Tugboat, and Big Boss Man. Uh, tell me what you think about this team, these two teams. I think that I hate Hulk Hogan. Okay. Here's why. In my opinion, liking Hulk Hogan is like 
liking Alabama football. Oh. You know what's going to happen. You know he's going to win. Roll tie, brother. So what's the point? Yeah. That's fair. Also, Hulk Hogan is just as annoying as anyone who likes Alabama football. Absolutely. Uh, um, and I do like here that Hogan does offer. He's like, after this is over, if the army needs a little extra artillery, we'll go down there and we'll deal with them. Like, you're going to go suplex Saddam Hussein? What? Yeah. Yeah. He's going to feel the 24-inch pythons. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're like in peak Hulk Hogan era. This is like when Hulk Hogan is super popular. Um, and why? I've never understood it. He's, Can you at least kind of understand it in that time when the wrestling is really new and, like, we've never had anybody like this? People don't understand the ins and outs of wrestling. Like, I just don't understand why a weird bald guy that yells all the time got to be everyone's favorite. I mean, he does have, like, charisma. He is, like, very marketable. You gotta give him something, man. I don't have to give Hulk Hogan anything. Okay, well, you do have to give him the time of day to talk about this match. Fair um, enough. Hulk Hogan uh, does his whole yelling, eat your vitamins, say your prayers thing. Hacksaw Jim Duggan has bows on his 2x4, which is apparently for the troops. I don't understand why. <laughs> um, and like you said, Hulk Hogan just drafted his whole team into the military. <laughs> Uh, when Hogan comes out, he's getting a huge pop. The crowd's chanting for Hogan. Duggan and Haku are going to start it off. I don't know that we've really talked a whole lot about Haku, but Haku is apparently the scariest man in wrestling. Andre the Giant was afraid of that dude. Oh, man. Because he was just such an actual badass. Like, he'd kill you for real. Oh, so we got a, um, oh, man. New oh, Jack. Let's... Yes! Well, he's not like, quite like New Jack in that he didn't actually kill anyone for real. <laughs> but he he could. Um, uh, Boss Man is in there, and he gets a side slam and pins Haku pretty quickly. Uh, he grabs Bobby Heenan and slams him into the turnbuckle post. Dude's just getting the shit beat out of him tonight. Um, <laughs> uh... Jimmy Hart gets involved by pulling the top rope down and, and causing Duggan to fall over the top rope. Uh, he gets his 2x4 out, and he starts swinging at Jimmy Hart, and he even hits Earthquake 2, and he gets disqualified. Again! How many DQs or countouts are we up to now? So we had all f- we had four people in the first match. We had Undertaker get counted out in the second match. We had Jake the Snake get counted out in the third match. And then we had... Hacksaw get disqualified in this match. So we've had seven DQs or countouts so far. Wow. Yeah, um, th- that's way too many. Uh, eventually, uh, we get Hulk Hogan in there. He scoop slams Earthquake. They always act like it's crazy every time he slams someone big, even though he does it all the damn time. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Big Boss Man goes to the top rope, or actually, excuse me, uh, D- Dino Bravo is going to come in uh, and gets quickly rolled up by Hulk Hogan. Uh, B- 
Bossman goes to the top rope but gets caught by Earthquake. Hogan shoves Earthquake over, and Bossman lands on him for a quick pin, but Earthquake still manages to kick out. Uh, he eventually, uh, Barbarian kicks Bossman in the back, and Earthquake falls up with an elbow drop and a pinfall. Hogan gets a boot on Earthquake, but he can't get Earthquake to go down. Um, eventually, Earthquake's going to try for a splash, but Hogan gets out of the way. Hogan finally tags in Tugboat, um, and he brawls with Earthquake on the outside, and so they both get counted out. So we got two count out. We had two count outs and a DQ in this one match. So now we are up to ten count outs or DQs in this show. Good God. Um, it's now down to Barbarian and Hulk Hogan. What an interesting matchup. Wow, I wonder, wonder who's going to pull that one out. Yeah, eventually it's Hogan who starts hulking up. He gets the big boot followed by the atomic leg drop for the pin and the win, and he punches Bobby Heenan and throws him over the top rope. Um, so Hogan's your sole survivor here. Uh, he grabs a sign that says Hulk rules, holds it up, wipes his sweat with it, and then gives it back. Roddy Piper does a little sweet little shout-out to his niece who's in the military overseas. So that's cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, Man, I just, I just don't like Hulk Hogan. I know you don't, my man. Uh, very few people do. Uh, we're gonna go to ringside where Mean Gene is interviewing the Macho King Randy Savage. Uh, he had recently won the uh, King of the Ring tournament, so now he's calling himself the Macho King. Uh, so we get more yelling. He calls out the Ultimate Warrior. He says he's going to be the ultimate turkey when he takes the world title from him. Yeah, he really, man, he got him, you know? And then he calls him a, tur a chicken, and, and Mean Gene's like, the ultimate chicken, that's pretty strong. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's all, like, I almost expected him to be like, and you know who the real ultimate chicken is? Saddam Hussein. <laughs> the gobbledygooker. Um, but, like, yeah, it, it Macho King Randy Savage is um, just, what a man, you know? He's wearing these glasses that have this, like, print on the front of them, and I'm pretty sure he can't see out of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how you could. He's inside. Yeah, I, well, I, I meant because they, they have something, you know, on oh. them. They're oh, not transparent yeah. at all. He doesn't need to see. You know, it's kind of a uh, shocker situation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so our next match is going to be the weirdest one for sure. Oh, uh, can I say just one thing that Macho King Randy Savage says in regards to the giant egg is that the last time I saw an egg that size, Millie Vanilli laid it. Man, what a pool. Whew, that is something, huh? Yeah. We're in 1990, baby. And this is how you know we're in 1990, is this weird desert storm angle. So, in 1990, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, who is this, like, boot camp drill sergeant gimmick, decided, or I don't know that he decided, but the... WWF decided 
that they were going to take Sergeant Slaughter's gimmick and give him massive heat. Um, so he turned on the United States and became an Iraqi sympathizer, started working with General Adnan and the Iron Sheik, started waving around an Iraq flag. It was something. Um, apparently, apparently at WrestleMania 7, Hogan had a match against Sergeant Slaughter because, you know, Hogan is super American and everything. And they had to move the location of the show to another, a smaller venue. The WWE said it was because of security concerns associated with Sergeant Slaughter's gimmick, but it was actually because not enough people bought tickets to fill the arena. Oh my god. And they wanted to make it look more packed. Um. But, yeah... So this is right in the middle of Sergeant Slaughter's Iraqi sympathizer gimmick, and boy, is he leaning into it. It's the weirdest thing. It's, again, you know, it's like, okay, it's this weird period of time where, like, we realize that, because when you're in a war with somebody that really deserves it, you know, you can't do this kind of thing. Like, imagine yeah. if, if, uh... You know, World War Two, people going around, like, pretending to love Hitler or something, you know, that that wouldn't play well. Yeah. Um, but when it's, when it's just about oil, you can have a little fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, but no, like, imagine if, if someone was like, their gimmick was, I love Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it would be immediately, like, too much heat. The w- one thing I want to point out that's really weird about this. So the mercenaries are Sergeant Slaughter, Boris Zukov, Sato, and Tanaka. And then their opponents are, they're waving American flags, but it's Nikolai Volkov, who's Russian, Tito Santana, who's billed as being from Mexico, and the Bushwhackers, who are from New Zealand. None of them are American. That's fact, a really good American point. The only American in this match is Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> So, no. Well, you know, now that's... he's an Iraqi, I guess. Yeah, he does this long, like, promo, where he's like, mm, "Yeah," and he's like doing weird, weird noises. But he's uh, he's talking about how he doesn't have to eat his turkey in the desert, and he calls out George Bush and says he should take a hint from Saddam. It's um uh, interesting. It definitely accomplishes what it's trying to do, and it's to get him a lot of heat. Yeah, it's... Man, who thought that was a good idea? Also, they ask if he's constipated. Yeah, man, that's the bit... Again, great dunk coming in. They're like... Asking if he's constipated. Sergeant Slaughter, you gotta poopy, don't you? Hey, you can't poop. This nerd can't poop. This dude is packed with shit. Um, Santana takes out Zukov pretty early for a flying forearm with a flying forearm. Um, uh, does the same with Tanaka. Um, uh, the Bushwhackers end up hitting a double team move in, to take out Sato. Uh, so now it's just Sergeant Slaughter alone with everybody else. Um, 
the crowd is chanting USA for a team that does not have any um, American wrestlers in it. Um, <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter eventually dominates Nikolai Volkov, hits an elbow drop for the three count. Um, uh, the Bushwhackers scoop slam Sergeant Slaughter, followed by a double clothesline. Luke Bushwhacker goes to the top rope and jumps off, but Slaughter gets his knees up. And then he hits a gut buster on Luke, pins him for the three count. Um, Slaughter gets a clothesline on Butch for the elimination. And then Santana is in here, hits a top rope crossbody, but Sergeant Slaughter kicks out. Slaughter pushes Tito Santana into the referee. Santana gets a flying forearm, but General Adnan comes in the ring and hits Santana with the flag. Slaughter locks Santana in the Cobra Clutch, and the ref calls for the bell. At first, it looks like he's giving the win to Sergeant Slaughter, but instead, he disqualifies Slaughter, and Santana is your sole survivor. So, yet another disqualification. Yep, that's what, 11? to 11. Um, okay, also, have you noticed, and have you noticed a strange amount of botches in this show? I didn't. I really didn't. What, what? I, I saw what uh, I felt like it was a lot of um, earlier. The first time I noticed it, it was really obvious with Dusty Rhodes, um, where he is. The camera is he's clearly not connecting, and it looked weird because he's just like stomping, um, but you know, making the punch noise, but with no punch. It, it was just strange, and I noticed it some in this match too. And I don't know if that's just a product of, like, a lot more hits and things that can be botched easily, or or what? I think, I mean, the, the punch-stomping thing has kind of always been a thing, but I guess, yeah, I guess what you're saying is it's just more noticeable here. Yeah, well, not just the punch, like, so the punch-stomp is supposed to be where, like, you punch at someone, and you stomp at the same time, and you, you do it in a way that makes it look like you're hitting them. Uh, and the stomp is supposed to be the sound of the impact. But... I, what I'm talking about is where, like, you're clearly not connecting. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't uh, notice that. But, uh, I mean, it's probably just maybe has something to do with there are a lot of punches and maybe they hadn't quite figured out the filming of wrestling in order to hide it a little bit better. I don't uh, know. Yeah, and that is one thing is that I think a lot of it is camera work. Yeah. Um... We're going to go backstage to the entire Visionary team and Ted DiBiase. I like how they, so, they automatically, like, made the team separate into heels and faces. Because if they wanted to, they could have had equal teams. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if they had just put some heels on the face team. But no, 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 no. Heels and faces, they don't team together. Because that's what I was wondering. I was like, how is this going to work? What if it's all heels that win? Yeah. For all yeah. Faces. So, I mean, it's something you clearly have to have planned in advance. But basically, the match is going to be three on five now. Uh, the It's all of Visionary and Ted DiBiase. And then it's going to be Hogan, Warrior, and Tito Santana on the other team. Um, so now we're going to go to the moment we've all been waiting for. Oh, yeah, baby. Mean, mean Gene and the Egg. Uh, he says Incubation they, is over. He says that things are heating up. The fans are red hot. He describes to us the process of incubation. Um, he also says some great lines like, wherever that came from, that had to hurt. This oh. cracks me up, and I think that egg is ready to blow. 
so we get the one, the only, the gobbledy gooker. Okay, but what if dude it a was a dinosaur? Imagine. That would have been a little bit better. Did you notice, like, this is still a time where kayfabe is a thing and fans cheer and boo what they're supposed to, but they boo the shit out of this. They boo the gobbledygooker immediately. Because how could you not? How could you be promised some huge thing? Which, like, to be fair, what the fuck were, what was the plan here? Yeah, what'd you think was going to come out of that egg? But, like, so the gobbledygooker was the plan. What did they plan to do with it other than just have this weird segment? Yeah. Yeah, that was the thing. Okay. And so, like, what I love, too, is, like, Mean Gene is like, oh, what could be in this egg? A dinosaur. Or names a couple other things. All of which are cooler than a man in a turkey suit. I noticed like, you asked who was in the, the suit. It's Hector Guerrero. Huh. Eddie Guerrero's brother. Oh, that's a shame. Yep, that's him. Um, Do you think in an alternate universe, Hector Guerrero becomes insanely popular and uh, The Undertaker is is in the suit and is forgotten as the gobbledygooker? I, I know, I like to think of it as the gobbledygooker gets popular and The Undertaker is a one-off character. <laughs> Like, The Undertaker does not, like, never comes back. It's like, remember that Survivor Series and they had that weird zombie man? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, isn't that the same one where the gobbledygooker debuted? Oh, man. Oh, man. Love remember, remember when the gobbledygooker first showed up? Well, you know, we would have never known remember, he would have been the legend that he was. Remember when Gooker started to get stale, so they introduced his chicken brother, Clux? Oh, yes. Remember when uh, Gooker did that weird thing where he's like, I'm not a turkey anymore, I'm a biker now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember when Gooker was undefeated at WrestleMania? <laughs> um, This thing goes on, it should have gone on for zero time, but it went on for way too long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just start dancing in the ring. To, uh, oh man, I don't even know the name the of that. Chicken Dance song. Okay, yeah. Which is not a turkey song. Um, and just Mean Gene and the Gooker just, just dance a lot. Also, I, I do think it's interesting that Mean Gene understands turkey. Yes, yes, because he's like gobbling and he's like, oh, you want me to go down there? So Mean Gene speaks turkey. The, sure. Yeah, that's my favorite part about this, is that, like, he's gobbling, and Mean Gene's like, no, don't tell me you're the gobbledygooker. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, this was some sort of foretold prophecy. And at one point, like, he just starts rolling around in the ring, and then Mean Gene tries to do it, and it's just weird. Like, what was the point of this god I, I don't know but you know what the gobbledygooker is my favorite wrestler and you cannot convince me otherwise i mean he's not really a wrestler he he just showed up for that battle he's in a ring one. isn't he 
one time and he got thrown out. Well, but Mean Gene's in the ring. He's not a wrestler. Sure he is. Okay. <laughs> well, let's now go to our, our our grand finale, Survivor Series. I noticed you mentioned, you said a lot of build-up for a match that's like 10 minutes. Actually, I looked it up. This is the shortest match on the show. Yeah, and that's what I thought was strange, is that like they really... Because they do everyone's intro, and yeah. like it takes a long time to set up, only for it to pop off, like and be done. Maybe they were running out of time. I don't know. I guess Gooker did eat up a big old section of that, huh? Yeah. Think about all the time we could have had if not for Gooker. Um, so we've got the heel team of Rick Martel, Hercules, Paul Roma, Warlord, and Ted DiBiase gets Hulk Hogan. Tito Santana and Ultimate Warrior. Um, before the match, they do an interview where Hogan, Santana, and Warrior just yell a bunch. Um, Santana eliminates Warlord immediately with a flying forearm. Uh, DiBiase dr- drops Santana throat first on the top rope and pins him. Um, everyone starts dominating Hulk Hogan. Uh, Hercules hits a superplex and Roma follows up with a splash, but Hogan kicks out. He clotheslines Roma and pins for three. So we can pin somebody with a clothesline, but Hulk Hogan can pick kick out of a superplex top rope splash combo. Um, uh, Warrior gets tagged in. He starts kicking the shit out of Martel in the corner. Uh, Warrior punches everybody. Hogan gets tagged back in, and he clotheslines Martel over the top rope. And Martel just runs to the back and gets counted out. And we have our 12th. Count out slash DQ of the night. Good God. Um, so Hogan is going to clothesline Ted DiBiase in the corner, slingshot him, and then he hits the big boot on him and follows up for a leg drop. A leg drop for the pin and the elimination. Then he tags in Warrior, who makes short work of Hercules, pinning him with a splash that Hogan like gets in the ring and counts along with for some reason. Okay. I just did the math, and 30% of the wrestlers in this show are eliminated by DQ or countout. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, it really is. That is way too many. Like, I understand to do it a few times, maybe like twice, but once you're doing it multiple times in one single match and at least once in every match that's that's too much yeah that's way too much uh that was probably my biggest problem with this show was that there were there were too many count outs and eqs um of course they're going to beat up the manager at the end like we've done at, at the end of every match so hogan and warrior come out on top because of course they do yeah wow who saw that coming yeah they get booked to look like super ben but again, it's not like they really had like much of a team to compete against because everyone in this match was like nobodies except for Ted DiBiase. Yeah, that is true. And I guess that's like what they were ultimately setting up and that's why they got that clean sweep earlier. But wow, what a what a way to throw a whole team under the bus just so you can make Hulk Hogan look cool. Yeah. Uh I mean, that's that's essentially what this what the purpose of that was. I, I think you're on to something there. Um, 
So what'd you think of this show altogether? Uh, as a uh, as a show, as a, a Thanksgiving tradition. I mean, definitely like uh, strange. Definitely unlike anything we've watched before. It wasn't bad. It was it was it was all right. But you know, um, the the time has has really shown on it. Yeah, I mean, Gooker's immortal and timeless, but everything else is uh, is pretty dated. But it, it's interesting to go see. Yeah, I mean, it's it was definitely a cool watch. It was not a bad show. I've definitely watched much worse pay per views. Um, oh, for sure. It's just the uh, the the decisions in this match were or in this show were were strange, um, to say the least. But it didn't give us the Undertaker, so. There you go, and the gooker. Yep. What could? What more could we ask for? Uh, what more could we ask for? Uh, that's what I'm grateful for this Thanksgiving. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's gonna about do it for this edition of Turnbuckle Training. Uh, in a couple of weeks, it's gonna be uh, Christmas. We're celebrating Christmas, so we're doing all the holiday stuff here on Turnbuckle Training. So in two weeks. We're going to be talking about uh, a Christmas tradition the WWE started doing in 2004, the Tribute to the Troops, where they went overseas and uh, and uh, did a show exclusively for the uh, service members. How telling is it that the WWE has been doing... It, it shows you how long this war has been, because they've been doing... WWE is still doing this Tribute to the Troops that they started in 2004. So. Yikes. Um, but yeah, that's what we'll be talking about in two weeks. So be sure to listen along with us then, um, and uh, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and give us a follow on Twitter. You can find us at Turnbuckle Train. Thanks for listening. It's me, Austin. The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Oh, son of a bitch. I did it for the love.